Well, when you were a child, who was it that you wanted to be like? Was it an actor, a musician, a sports hero? Maybe it was a family member, one of your teachers or one of your coaches. For me, when I was quite young, I wanted to be just like my big sister. And then a little later in life, there were many ways in which I wanted to be like my big brother. But also in the mix of people I wanted to be like was Joni Cunningham from Happy Days. Wonder Woman of the original television series. And of course, Charlie's Angels. Who was your hero then? And who is your hero now? We're in a series on the Beatitudes, which describes a person who is blessed, meaning truly happy. In fact, the word blessed means they're so happy that they're someone to be envied. The Beatitudes are describing a hero, but not a hero according to the world's values, but according to the values of the kingdom. God's kingdom. This is a countercultural, flipped upside down sort of hero, which is why the series graphic looks like this, flipped upside down. This is the second week in our series, hashtag blessed, based on Matthew 5, 1 through 16. And you can find this text on the YouVersion app on your phone. It's a free app. Or if you want a hard copy of a Bible, we'd be glad to give you one as a gift. uh, And they're available at the Welcome Center. The passage known as the Beatitudes is the introduction to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, on the Bible timeline, we are in Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew is counted among the Gospels. And it begins like this, Matthew 5, 1 to 2. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So just like in Exodus, when Moses went up the mountain and received the Old Testament law, Jesus goes up the mount and delivers the New Testament law. And that connection, that parallel, would have been apparent and significant to the first people who heard this sermon in the book of Matthew. Pastor and author Timothy Keller has said that the Beatitudes are about the kind of person we must be before we can do what the rest of the Sermon on the Mount tells us to do. Beatitudes are about the kind of person we must be if we're going to do what the rest of the Sermon on the Mount tells us to do. And if you don't become this person, you cannot live the life that is described in the Sermon on the Mount. Keller also says that the Sermon on the Mount is exactly how you want the people around you to live. And ain't that the truth? It's just how you want the people around you to live. So Pastor Mark got us started last week with Matthew 5, verses 3 and 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So in Pastor Mark's words, we will be truly happy when we are bankrupt and broken. When we realize our spiritual poverty apart from God and are grieved over our own sin. 
Now, if you missed that message from last week, you can catch it on our website. It leads to the verses for today, which are going to build on these ideas. Because remember, all of the Beatitudes are meant to be taken together. All the Beatitudes are meant for all of the followers of Jesus. It's like the fruit of the Spirit. We can't pick and choose. We can't say, well, I'm up for mourning, but I'm going to take a pass on purity. It doesn't work that way. This is a package deal. So here we go. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, this is a radical and countercultural statement because Jesus is, in fact, radical and countercultural. He is essentially saying, be humble and get everything. Please repeat after me. Be humble and get everything. That's right. Now, my study Bible says that meekness here refers not so much to our attitude with other people, but rather our disposition before God, our posture before God, namely humility. Tim Keller describes meekness as without any power, completely dependent on God's mercy, forgiveness, and salvation. Meekness. Humility. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah gets a vision of God in his throne room, in all his majesty and splendor and holiness. And then, by comparison, Isaiah sees his own dirty sinfulness. And then the Lord reaches out and touches Isaiah and makes him clean. Much like what happens when you and I say yes to Jesus and receive his forgiveness and our new identity in him. And then the Lord launches Isaiah on mission to go take this message to other people and go and serve people. You see, meekness, humility before God will overflow and affect our posture and attitude with people. Humility results when we know who God is and we know who we were before his touch and we know who we are after his touch. In other words, we know who we were before we said yes to Jesus and we know who we are after we said yes to Jesus. Before, we were dead in our own sin. After, we're alive in Christ. We get his identity and now we're living into it as he transforms and empowers and launches us on mission. And we, when we get settled in those realities, when we get grounded in those truths, when we know clearly and confidently what God thinks of us, we care less and less what others think of us and we can be humble. So I don't need to advertise my accomplishments, big or small. And I don't need to point out anyone else's shortcomings, big or small. I can be meek. I can be humble. Now here's where God has been talking to me 
in the last couple of weeks, and it's come through Ian Duguid's writing on this verse, Matthew 5, 5. In the face of criticism, I don't need to be defensive. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm supposed to be a doormat and just absorb everything that comes my way because boundaries can be healthy and it can be the right thing to defend yourself, to push back against falsehood. And in fact, the very next verse after this is going to talk about that. It's going to talk about speaking and doing what is right, what is just, especially for others. But those are things to be done in a purposeful, intentional, wise way. Defensiveness is just more reactive. When my pride or my image or my reputation feels threatened... I catch myself being defensive. And to be honest with you, in those instances, when I think back on them, I cannot recall the moment I decided to be defensive. It just happens. It is so fast. It's like a reflex. So I'm asking God to change my reflexes to transform me and make me more meek and more humble so that in the face of criticism, I can make a deliberate decision about whether or not I'm going to respond and if so, how I'm going to respond. Because I want to be more like him and I want what the rest of this verse promises. It says, the meek will inherit the earth. Now this verse, Matthew 5, 5, echoes a verse from the Old Testament, Psalm 37, 11, which says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. And the first audience that was hearing this sermon in Matthew, they would have known about this verse in Psalms. They would have made this connection. Biblical people, especially Old Testament people, but also these people in Matthew, had two very high priorities, land and descendants. And when you read through the Old Testament, you cannot uh, miss this theme. There is so much about the promise of the land, getting to the land, taking the land, filling the land with people, and then <gasps> losing the land and leaving the land, getting back to the land, etc., etc., etc. I mean, this is huge to these people. It's almost everything to them, the land. And now Jesus is saying, Be humble and you will get, not just the land, you will get the earth. It doesn't get any bigger than that. You will inherit the earth. Now what does that mean? The promises in the Beatitudes have a now application and a not yet application. There's an extent to which Each one of these conditional promises is filled in our lifetime, but their complete fulfillment is in the next lifetime, when those who have said yes to Jesus will be with him in his kingdom in a different sort of way than we are now. So the now application of inheriting the earth is this. When in meekness and humility, we understand who God is, who we are apart from him, 
what we really deserve apart from his forgiveness, and that every good and generous gift is from him. Gifts that we do not deserve and we are not entitled to. When we begin to get this right perspective, we begin to see how rich we are. Spiritually rich, relationally rich, materially rich. With this right perspective, we begin to understand we have hit the jackpot, my friends. We have won the lottery. We are up to our eyeballs in the goodness of God. We've inherited the earth. We have everything. The message puts the beatitude this way. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Now, the not yet application of inheriting the earth comes from Revelation 21. And it tells us that a day is coming when those of us who have said yes to Jesus will be with him in a new heaven and an actual new earth forever. So, when someone says something or does something that has the potential to prick my pride, push my buttons, and tempt me to take offense, sometimes just letting that go feels like a sacrifice. To just let it go feels like I'm giving up something valuable. But the reality is this. In that moment, I can choose pride and have that temporary satisfaction. Or I can choose humility and get the earth forever. (laughs) That is the better deal. That is the better deal. Jesus is the hero that this beatitude is describing. Remember this. Look at this. Philippians 2. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was humble, and he got everything. I'm gonna give you a few seconds to reflect. And I invite you to use these few seconds of silence in one of three ways. You can use it to just consider God's holiness. You could use it to confess your own sin. Or you could use it to be grateful for God's forgiveness and his gifts. All of these are practices that cultivate humility. I'm going to give you a few seconds of silence to try on one of those.
Amen. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now this beatitude is a little bit of a counterpoint to the last one. The last one about meekness is about what we need to lay down and let go of. And this one is about what we need to take up and go after. And it essentially means this. Crave right relationships and get full. So please repeat after me. Crave right relationships. Crave. And get full. That's right. This idea of hunger or thirst or crave, it's not just a passing thought or a wish. It's a driving force that moves us to action. From time to time, I crave German chocolate cake with coconut frosting. And when I get this craving, I get in my car, I drive to Safeway, I go to the bakery case, I pick up the cake, I pay for the cake. I drive home, I make a pot of coffee to honor the dessert to coffee ratio. And I sit down and I eat that cake. The point is, Once I have the craving, I am actively going after it. You get it? I'm actively going after it. So to hunger, to thirst, to crave righteousness means to actively go after it over obstacles despite the cost. What is righteousness? Now we can be tempted to think about righteousness as personal, private, piety only. I can have my daily righteousness checklist. It involves a certain number of minutes. I'm going to pray and read the Bible. Maybe there's some things there I'm going to avoid doing. Got through another day without doing that. But for biblical people, for people in, in Bible times, righteousness was about right relationship. Righteousness meant right relationship with God, with other people, with stuff. And it even went beyond my relationships, to other people's relationships with God, with people, and with stuff. And that is the crux of justice. So this hunger and thirst for righteousness is a deep longing for what's right according to God for me and what's right according to God for other people, especially the oppressed. It's a deep longing that stirs us to action, And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount gives us examples of what those actions are like. So Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount about our relationship with God, are you doing something that's causing you to be out of sync with God? Stop. Cut it off. Even if it's your right hand. Jesus says about our relationship with others, is there a fracture in one of your relationships that you haven't attempted to mend? Stop, leave the worship gathering, go do your best to get that mended, and then come back. Jesus says about our relationship with stuff, are you amassing wealth and possessions and feeling smug about it? Stop, build up a supply of what's important to God. Jesus says about justice, when you give to the needy, 
Not if you give, when you give. When you give to the needy, don't do it to impress others. Do it for the right reasons. This is what it looks like to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to crave right relationships. That's the condition. And then the promise is you will be filled. Again, what does that mean? Again, there's a now application and a not yet application. I believe the now application is the experience we have when we know by God's enablement, we have done the right thing for our relationship with God or our relationship with others, or we have practiced justice for the oppressed. Do you know that feeling in your gut? R.C. Sproul defines blessed this way, but I think it could also apply to filled. When the deepest chamber of the soul is overfilled with satisfaction that knows no bounds. When the deepest chamber of the soul is overfilled with satisfaction that knows no bounds. When I know I need to have a hard conversation with someone because it's the right thing to do. Afterwards, no matter how it went, one of the things that I feel is this filled feeling. Something in my gut is saying, by God's enablement, you did the right thing by moving towards this person. Let me tell you, that is a really good way to go to sleep at night. Imagine going to sleep every night with that kind of filled feeling. That really is the hashtag blessed life. Now the not yet application of this filled is found in Revelation 7, 16. And it's about a certain group of God's people who are with him in the next life, but I believe it will apply to all who have said yes to him. And it says, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. There will be no more sin in the new heaven and the new earth. And righteousness will flourish and we will be full. Jesus was referring to this kind of craving and this kind of fullness in John 4, verses 31 to 34. Remember, this beatitude he's using to describe himself. He is the hero this picture is painting. This is John 4. It says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So let me just keep very real with you this morning. Sometimes I do hunger and thirst for righteousness. But I realized this week that Sometimes I, I, I long for the longing. I want to be longing for righteousness. I'm not quite. <laughs> but I want to be longing for righteousness. And I think that's something. So if that's you, I think that still means God's at work. And then I'll tell you what, sometimes I am not longing for righteousness at all. Sometimes I would rather be sitting on my couch than getting up and making something more right for me or for anybody else. 
And that's why I need Jesus to change my cravings. I need him at work in me, resurrecting me into his likeness. Because all of these beatitudes are a picture of him. They're all about his likeness. He became bankrupt so we could be rich. He was broken so we could be made joyfully whole. He gave up everything so we could have it all. And he put his righteousness on us so that we could be complete and full. And if we've said yes to him, his spirit is now in us, at work in us, resurrecting us to live into the reality of this likeness and this blessed life. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are wonderful. You are worthy. You are the hero of all heroes. You are my hero and I honor you. And I'm so grateful for your presence in me, your presence in us, the reality of the new life and the new identity that you have given me. And I need you. We need you. We need your spirit to bring the practical expression of our lives into alignment with this new identity. So we increase our craving, our hunger and our thirst for you, our hunger and our thirst for righteousness, for justice. And Jesus, fill us up. Amen.